0: Brand new to me. And that was brand new, Brian. Thank you. That's very good. In fact, I think he covered the important things out of these chapters. We can just say amen and go home. Nah, we're not gonna do that. We've come to I think the eighth message in this series, where did marriage come from? And I'm not gonna give you a chance to answer that from out there. You might have all kinds of answers. It's a hard subject, it really is. It's the closest of human relationships, and because that's true, it has the most potential for pain and difficulty, right? The closer we are to something, the more vulnerable we are to the difficulties of that thing. Marriage has the potential, and I've told couples over the years, this has the potential to be the greatest of all human institutions it has the potential to be the most difficult and painful of all human institutions both things are true i know that when people are listening to uh, a message that's focused on marriage that there's all different places of life represented some young unmarried some married life's okay some who have been married and life was difficult some who are in marriage and life is difficult. And so there's all kinds of people represented. And, and that's just the world we live in. And there are two alternatives. Listen, you can either avoid it totally, which is much easier to do, or you can address it in the love of Christ and see what the Lord has for marriage, which I think is what he'd prefer for us to do, don't you? We can't avoid it, but how would our young people come to understand what the Lord intends for marriage, or those who are contemplating it? So we can't avoid it. And let me just say one thing in prefacing before we get into it, that we usually think of a verse in Malachi 2, I believe, where it says, God hates divorce. I can't take that out. But understand that it does not say God hates divorced people there. He hates the institution of divorce because he knows the pain that it causes. He knows the difficulty. And I can guarantee you if we were to sit and poll people who have gone through divorce, they could share with you the pain and the hardship that it's created in their life. And the Lord knows that. And so the Lord doesn't hate divorced people. He loves people in whatever station of life that they're in. I thought that in such a somber subject, we needed a little humor. So you guys have heard about the wife who said to her husband, I watch Jim kiss Susie on the front porch every morning on his way to work. And the husband responds, honey, I don't even know Susie. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to go kiss Susie. And that's kind of the way men are sometimes. I will say that after being married, we've been married 55 years. 55 years. Myrna is home today. Uh, She's home today with the uh, presumption that she is sick. Could it be that she's sick of marriage? I don't know. She's but I just know she isn't here, and I'm going to talk about marriage. It seems a little suspicious to me. Some things do get easier the longer you're married. For instance, your conversations get shorter. Uh, now we can usually say from the room that's adjoining, what? And then we follow it up with, never mind. You know, that's usually our conversation. Some of you who are maybe getting later in life can... can uh, identify with that you know there's a story of a couple cute story they've been married for 60 years and they've had a good marriage not without its difficulty but a good marriage and and they really never kept secrets from each other they shared their lives with each other as it should be And then after 60 years uh, there was one little thing that troubled him so one night when they sat down at the end of the day he said honey I need to know. That little box that you've kept hidden away in the closet all of these years, that you said I should never touch, isn't it time for you to tell me what's in that secret little box? And she said, okay, go get the box. So he got the box and he came back and he opened it up and you know what's in it? A little crocheted doll. And underneath it, there's an envelope and there's $95,000 in the envelope. And he looked at her. And he said, what is this all about? And she said, dear, well, before we were married, mom told me to do this. Anytime that I'm really mad at you, I'm to sit down and crochet a doll. Well, naturally, he looked. There's only one doll, and he is elated. He assumes that means that she's only been mad at him one time in 60 years. G says, no, dear. The $95,000 is the money I made from selling the crocheted dolls. (laughs) Myrna spends a lot of time in the sewing room. I'm getting suspicious. I have something for you to chew on this morning. Just think about this. Statistics are difficult to nail down exactly, but these are very close, and these seem to be consistent with what most studies do. In the the United States, and really in the Western world today, 40% of first-time marriages end up in divorce. There's an interesting statistic that follows that, is that 50% of second-time marriages end up in divorce, 63% of third-time marriages end up in divorce, and I did not see the number, but it goes up with fourth time. So, uh, of all marriages, the number is close to 50% of all marriages in the U.S. today. Now, listen to this. Something you wouldn't have thought about, because I hadn't thought about. In the world today nearly half of all marriages are arranged. Some of them are forced marriages, as in the Muslim world. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about marriages in in Japan. It's not uncommon. In some countries, they actually hire a third party to go out and interview and talk to the two perspectives and to determine if they're compatible. And then if they are, they bring them together and see where it goes from there. So there's all kinds of arranged marriages, and not all of them are forced. In fact, probably a large majority of them are not forced. Um, The African continent, it's common to have arranged marriages. So in this large percentage of marriages in the world today that are arranged before, what percentage of those do you think end up in divorce? If half of marriages for romance end up in divorce, what percentage do you think of those arranged marriage ends up in divorce? Six to seven percent. Yeah. And in the United States, it's common in the Amish community. It's a relatively small percentage of our population. But it's common in the Amish community to arrange marriages. Do you know what percentage of Amish marriages end up in divorce? 1%. Now, does that trouble you a little bit? It troubles me a whole bunch. And I don't know how to interpret that. But I I ask myself, and I'd ask you, why the disparity? Why in the world would 50% of our marriages end, end up in divorce and a fraction of that... Of arranged marriages end up in divorce and I just came up this is an editorial uh, I'm not pulling this directly out of scripture but just my own observation you listen, you discern whether or not I'm right here's a few observations this one I know is that people end in, end up in marriage with a false expectation their expectation going in is all wrong in fact they would say, uh, we want our marriage to be like Hollywood, you know, and what they don't realize is that handsome hunk that's, that you marry is one of these days going to be a balding chunk, and he's not going to look the same, you know, he's just not going to look the same, and life changes, the dynamics of life change, and if you enter into the marriage with false expectations... If your expectation is, I'm going to be served and romanced all my life, it's going to be difficult because it's not going to happen. It just doesn't happen that way. And so I I believe expectations is a major part of that. And when I think of good marriages, here's one of the things I believe. Good marriages have no secrets. No secrets. can't have a secret in a good marriage. You share your life. And you share everything in your life. And so you, you can't have secrets and have a, a good marriage. And here's another thing. This goes along with some of what I just said. But I think that we enter into marriage with the heart of serving. Because the heart of Christ is to serve. He came, Scripture says, to serve and not to be served. So in marriage, should it be any different for us as followers of Christ? We enter into marriage with the idea of serving. Because what you find is there's great satisfaction in serving. And there's very little satisfaction in return in being served. Because soon it never can be enough. And So I think entering in with serving. Then the last thing I think, and this is maybe the most important, the strongest biblical ground, is that we've forgotten that marriage is a covenant that a marriage is a covenant with God and a covenant with another person. It's a promise. And it's, it's based on our own integrity that we're promising to fulfill the terms of that covenant. I think that... Uh, this is making me warm. I think that... Uh, and I've said this to couples over the years, but one of the things we need to focus on is Scripture says, love the one you marry. That's the command. And we need to think about that a little more than we think about marry the one you love. But love the one you marry. That's what the Lord would say to us today. Now let's just go through uh, Genesis 2, a few verses, and see a little bit about where marriage came from. Genesis 2, starting at verse 18, and just reading down through 24. The Lord said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. He's reviewing what's happened. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And do you remember what the Lord said uh, about creation each stage of the way? He said that it was good. And then when he looked at man, he said that was very good. But isn't it interesting that now he says it's not good for man to be alone because in creation there was no one like himself. There was no one that was compatible, comparable, and like himself. And so the Lord needs to create someone to come alongside him that's like himself. Verse 20 says, again, The man gave names to the livestock, to the birds, uh, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed it up with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, look what he said. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they too shall become one flesh. Let's pray before we go on. Father, there are details that we just read that we don't really even fully understand. There are things here that could hang us up. That divine surgery where you took a part of Adam to make man. Lord, while we don't understand that, there are other things that we cannot misunderstand. Lord, help us to see those clearly, those things that we cannot misunderstand. And that is that you created man and woman. They are yours. And that you created them for companionship, to come together, to love one another. And Lord, to live in an institution we called marriage. God, as we think through this this morning, I pray that simply your spirit would prevail. We want to obey you in every way. And so we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. First, uh, in verse 18, I think it's important to take note of the fact that this was God's idea. We usually think that good ideas are ours, but marriage wasn't man's idea, it was God's idea. God looked at the situation. And he said, I'm going to make it better. And so, since it's God's idea that the, the ordination of marriage, don't you think it should be God's idea that when a marriage dissolves? You know, one of the things about believing that man made marriage is to, that can lead us to believe that man can also dissolve marriage. that makes sense? If man made it, man can dissolve it. But this wasn't in man's design. It was in God's design marriage was his idea human beings are the uh, pinnacle the highest level of God's creation and I think it's noteworthy that woman is his final creative act there's no more creation after this woman is the final creative act and we need to be really careful guys of not seeing woman as, as somehow subordinate and less than man out of this passage. Uh, and, and in a moment, we'll see why. Because what, what was God's purpose in marriage? Why did he design marriage? Well, historically, the church has said for procreation. Many churches say that today, is that the main purpose of marriage is to procreate, to, to uh, replenish the earth. Well, certainly that's a byproduct of marriage, but do you see that in this passage anywhere? I don't think so. Procreation is not the primary purpose of marriage. It never has been, and it never will be. Look at what the Lord says. He said it's not good for man to be alone, so what's the first purpose for marriage? What's the first purpose? Isn't it companionship? Isn't it the coming together of two people uh, not to lord over but to share life with marriage is about companionship and not only that but notice he says a couple times verse 20 and again in 23 he says creating a helper Uh, you know if I am adequate in and of myself I don't need helpers if I can do this job and it can be done fully I don't need a helper but if I am not adequate or not complete I need a helper and the Lord looked at Adam and he said you've named the animals you've seen my creation but you're still not complete there's something you need to be complete and so the Lord created woman I can speak about marriage uh, with some experience we've been married a long time and I'll tell you marriage is not always easy Sometimes it's difficult. Um, Sometimes you'd like to just go run away. Right? Sometimes you just want to get away. But I can say with clear conscience that I am married to my best friend, and I am married to the greatest supporter I have on this earth. She is my friend, and she supports me. I'm incomplete without her. She has things that I don't have. She has skills I don't have. She has mindsets I don't have. And she has attention to detail I don't have. She completes me. She fills out all of those voids. You know, she was a much better student than I was. Her grades were much better than mine. And she did really well in school because of her attention to detail, and, and I don't like detail. I need her, but there's more than that. There's more than just the mundane things like detail. She completes my life emotionally, is that Verna is my rock. Let me share a quick story with you. I was working on a master's degree, I don't know why, because I thought I needed help. I was in a pastorate, and I knew that I was dumber than a rock, I just needed help, and so I decided to go for a master's degree, and the the consummate project in this master's degree was a, it was really not a thesis, it was a working project, you had to propose something for the local church or the parachurch body, and then bring it to conclusion, and then report on it. So it was not a traditional master's. It was more a working project. And, and I got started on one. And I went through the initial process. They have to approve it. They always uh, assign you a proctor who approves it. And he rejected it. And long reason, it wasn't anything wrong with my thesis. The problem was that it wasn't provable. And so he rejected it. And I came home. After seeing his mail, reading his letter, I said, I'm done. I'm not going through this anymore. I'm just, what sense does it make? It means nothing to us financially. It just means me starting over and a lot of work. I'm done. You know, Myrna looked at me and she said, no, you're not. No, you're not. You've spent this much time and this much money, and you've, you've been in, invested in this to this level, and you're not quitting. Now, that's one of the few times she really kind of laid down the law. But boy, did I need her at that moment. Just an illustration of one of the thousands of times where Myrna stepped into a gap to complete me. And I finished it because just that word of encouragement and just her urging moved me on, and I finished it. I didn't like it, but I finished it. Myrna is my completion and also companion. Here's the difficult thing, folks. Some of you are in, have been in, or are currently in difficult marriages. And you say, My mate's not much of a companion. We don't share anything. And complete me. He. It voids me of any energy that I have. There's no completion here. And when I say I feel your pain, I feel your pain. I understand what you're saying. And sometimes I have people like that that I talk to. What do I say? Exactly what do I say? There's not much to say when somebody's going through that, is there? Hard words. Here's what I can say is that God designed marriage... And God designed marriage for one man, one woman, one lifetime. I I mean, I see that clearly. That's his design. And your part today is to do the right thing. And I can't tell you how many times I've said just that little phrase. And, folks, that is where we are today. That's exactly the word I would give to every one of you. Married, unmarried, about to be married, not even thinking about marriage. Struggling through difficult marriage. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. What's the right thing? Well, many of the right things are dictated specifically by the Lord through Scripture. And the second thing is seek out some counsel. Seek out brothers and sisters who can come alongside you and help you to see through this and see what is the right thing. What's the right thing to do? Help you to see that. We need that. We need people to help us through that. And then, isn't it isn't it enough to say, just do the right thing? Well, that's pretty inadequate, because it's not very specific. But it's the starting point. And then from do the right thing, you figure out, what is that right thing? What is the right thing? Well, seek the Lord, seek counsel. And you'll determine that. So, God's purpose for marriage... Procreation, I put that down on a second tier, but certainly companionship and completion according to this passage. Then God's plan, I've mentioned it, but God's plan was, and you see it in verse 24, um, where he says that the man is to leave and cleave, They're to come together, there to be one body, one flesh, for one lifetime. And that's, that's God's plan. There's another aspect of God's plan is, and this is, this is so sublime that it's hard to get our minds around, but marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. That union is a picture of Christ and his bride, the church. And that's for another sermon another time. But it pictures something much deeper and much more important. Than even that human institution of marriage. Now, I decided to address and try and brief to address some hard questions about marriage, and I have them on the back of the bulletin, because knowing where we are as people and knowing what's going on in some lives and what has gone on, there are some questions that come up that are just hard questions. Mm-hmm. And one of them is, maybe the most common is, I'm divorced, what do I do? What do I do? I've been divorced, what do I do? Hmm. That's a tough one, isn't it? it? It makes no sense to try to reverse it. You can't go back and fix it. That, that doesn't work. You just it, it's, it's done and you can't do it. And so the first thing is this. And listen now. This is important for somebody that may be struggling through this. God hates divorce, but God loves people. Christ died for divorced people. There is redemption, forgiveness, restoration available to people who have gone through this. Now, here's the danger in saying that. What is it? What's the danger in saying that? You know, don't you? The danger in saying that is it seems to give license to breaking up a marriage. No. It doesn't give license because that pain that comes through the breakup of the marriage is still there, and you can't dissolve it. And yet, as individuals understand that God loves people, Christ died for sinners. That's us, right? And Christ died for all kinds of sin. Isn't it interesting that the church can forgive somebody who's a murderer on death row and I know about one I could share with you. And we can't forgive somebody who's been divorced. It's wrong. It's wrong. Yes, uh, there was sin involved in it. And we don't know the scope of that. But doesn't God forgive repentant sinners? Isn't that what Jesus is all about? Isn't that why he came? Is to, to restore those who are lost. Well, so that, that's the first thing is to repent, turn back, agree with God on it. And then I would say seek counsel. Talk to somebody who you trust, a godly person, that can help you through this. Uh, That's important. Uh, Proverbs is full of this. In a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. And so seek, seek counsel. And then here's a third thing. I can't tell you how many times I've said this to people. Do not rush into a remarriage. You better back up and think that through before you remarry. Don't even think about it. Get yourself whole and see where the Lord is in this before you start thinking about joining up again. So God hates divorce but still loves people. Don't give up. Grace, forgiveness are available to the repentant. Second thing, what about, there are some who live as single, uh, and maybe some of those would like to be married. Others just don't want to be married. What, what about them? What about people who are living as singles, unmarried, and, and they're now later in years, or getting there? You know, that we have that stereotype, you're past marrying age. Well, you're never past marrying age, but what about them? How does the Lord feel about that? You know, Scripture talks about people who are unmarried for purpose. Uh, Paul talks about it, and he says sometimes because of the task at hand, because there's so much to do, it's better not to have the responsibility of a marriage. That could still be true. God could still have a purpose for somebody that, that he would say, I, I need you to do that in singleness. He could still do that. And here's the only thing I would say about being single and seeing that as your life is that be examine your own motives and be careful why you want to be single. If it's only for selfish reasons, if it's all about me, then you need to think that through a little further. And don't once again, don't give up. There's some amazing stories Out there, of God bringing people together way past the point where anyone would think that He would. Um, Can I embarrass embarrass my older son and daughter-in-law? Can I embarrass them? All right, stand up, you guys. They can't divorce me, right? All right. Okay, you can sit down. You know. I will speak to this because I was involved in it but both of them I think had said Lord if you want us to be single we will be single and I think both of them had had kind of longed to be married had longed to come together but felt like that they were getting to the point where it become less likely am I speaking this right okay that it become less likely uh, Eric of course I know his situation better being my son but he was teaching a little kids' class in a little small church in Talmadge, and he was just trying to do life. And amazingly, the Lord brought this young lady into his life, and there was a spark of interest, and the rest of the story is they have four kids. They've been married for a number of years. But, but the Lord brought them together, and so is it unlikely? Maybe, but don't limit what God can do in this. Don't limit what God can do at any station of marriage, and don't limit what He can do for the single. However, if God's called you to be single, stay single and be satisfied in it, and be pure in your singleness. What about uh, people who live in a, in a situation of the, the stuff of country songs—unrequited love, unreturned love? You know, what about that? What do you do about that? That's hard. Man, what a place to be where you love somebody and they never return it. That is so hard. But, you know, I know someone, and I know him well, who went through exactly that. And his name is Jesus, right? And Jesus loved us, and have we done a really good job of returning that love? Has the world returned that love to him? I don't think so. And so what can we say to them in your pain and in your difficulty and in the hardness of your situation? Your call is to be like Jesus. Your call is to love. That's a hard call when somebody doesn't love you back. I know that. And that love will look different in different circumstances. It's not an ushy, gushy, ooey, gooey kind of love. But it's love. It's love with substance. And it's love... Here's what the, the essence of love is. The essence of love is wanting the best for the other party. Isn't that the essence of love? Of always wanting the best for the other party. God wants the best for us. That's why he wants us to be redeemed. And to walk with him. And so... Love in those kind of situations looks like this. It looks like wanting the best for that person. We're like Jesus because we want the best for them. Here's a tough one that gets tougher in our society. What if I'm attracted to the same sex? Now, some of you may not love me anymore after today. Maybe you didn't love me going into today. I don't know, but... but. Um, there are people on this earth because of environment because of all kinds of things who have an attraction to the same sex that is not in and of itself sin you hear what I just said now it becomes sin based on what happens to it but it is something that they struggle through maybe it's based on sin way back in the garden maybe it's based on original sin and probably is because that's not God's design but they are not consciously sinning in this attraction and we need to be really careful as the church how we treat people who have a same sex attraction how would the Lord Jesus treat them that's right he would love them And would he have us to immediately act with disgust and disdain for them? If they come into our church, and they have, and they will. What is our job at that moment? Our job is to love them. Our job is to bring the Redeemer to them. That's our job. And then let's deal with those things uh, after they've come to know the Redeemer. Let's deal with those things. And so... What do we do with that? Well, it's tough. Here's a blanket, uh, kind of a a statement that fits all. It's kind of a one-size-fits-all. God, I think, has made it clear that sex outside of marriage is wrong. A, God has made it clear to me that, that marriage is between a man and a woman. I believe that. And so we're operating with those baselines is that it's anything outside of marriage is wrong. So <laughs> just think that through a moment, and you'll get how those, how those people have to live first. And then secondly, I believe that God is about redeeming people, period, no matter where they are. So we need to be very careful as a church. Um, people are struggling. And, you know, if they're afraid to talk about it, because they know the condemnation is coming, they'll never come to a church they'll never find help in redemption through the body of Christ, they'll never find it we've got to make a safe place where people can share their journey right where they are today right? don't you think so? isn't that what the church should be, a safe place for them? we don't, don't misunderstand I'm not suggesting condone I didn't say that I said love them where they are and in the hopes that we can help them go to where they need to be. Tough subject. That's something we could talk about another time again. But um, we need to love people. And then the last one is that uh, how can I make my marriage more satisfying? Amen, I think I'm done. How can I make my marriage more satisfying? Well, the first thing is this. Start serving instead of looking to be served. Start serving. Just serve your mate. Serve them. You say, I've been serving. Well, keep it up. Keep doing a good thing. Don't be weary in well-doing. Keep it up. Keep serving. Uh, And serve one another. And and there's amazing stories of when somebody changes their mindset and begins to serve, how God can intervene. And so, s- serve. That's, that's point A. And then, I, I've said this a couple times, but you need to seek out godly people who can come alongside you and, and talk to them about that and, and pray with you about that and think this thing through and see if there's some tangible help from the body of Christ that can aid you in a, in a difficult marriage um, seek help seek godly counsel we need to speak the truth about marriage and yet we have to be careful not to wound with our words sometimes truth in and of itself wounds I can't do anything about that can you but we need to be careful that it's the truth that wounds and not us it's and not our harshness, and not our vindictive attitude. Um, marriage is precious to God, and it's precious to me, and I trust it's precious to you. I don't know where you are, young people. Be careful. I have some grandsons here. You be sure. It's one of these days, and young ladies, I see a couple, several young ladies who are not quite at marrying age, but aren't far away. Uh, you be careful that when you begin to think about this person uh, that you're attracted to, you better be careful that one, that you are joined in faith that you share the same Lord because if you don't share the same Lord, you have no hope and then I would say seek help talk to people about this before you get married Um, premarital counseling I've, I've tried to use that term I've had a policy over the years that I don't marry people without spending five sessions with them but I recognize as I look back on it now after all these years that what I've done has been so inadequate I've used a little book and some prepared material and I don't I don't know how to make it better I just know this you need to seek out counsel, and you need to seek the counsel of God's word, and you need to be really sure that you're lined up with the motives of your life, and then go into it with the idea: I'm going to serve, I'm going to love this person, and I'm going to serve this person, and uh, you'd be surprised what might happen. Let's pray.